Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. The teaching theme for the month is Grace Is. Grace Is a Dash, and the plan is with every teaching, we're just going to add a new, you know, a new description of the grace message, the gospel's message. Grace is, you know, and we keep going on like that. And it's such a timely word, okay? Such a timely word. Someone says, oh, we're talking about this at this time. This is more reason why we should talk about this. Because the gospel is still the ultimate hope of the world. All right? You see, if there is anything this time has taught us, if there's anything that this time has taught us, it has taught us that the world is not as formidable as we think. This world will pass away. The Bible says heaven and earth will pass away. All right, so make no mistake about that. And you see, we have to emphasize even more than ever before the gospel's preaching. The gospel is the hope of the world. Not any vaccine. Anybody who is treated, anybody who is cured, it's still going to die. It's just a matter of time. But we need to preach the gospel and preach it boldly. And tell the world you don't have to die. The, Jesus said at Lazarus' funeral, what was meant to be Lazarus' funeral. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, even though he dies, he will live again. And they that live and believe in me will never die. He asked the question I'm asking you today. He said, do you believe this? Do you believe this? I dare you to believe this. Hallelujah. The gospel is the hope of the world. The gospel is the hope of the world. And so we continue to fill in the, the, the blanks explaining what grace is. You see, and today I want to start with something very fundamental because I have at least um, eight services to spend with you, including today's, I mean, midweek service and Sundays. You know, so I want to take my time and I want to start with something very fundamental because it doesn't matter the extent of revelation knowledge that is displayed today. If you have barriers erect against the word of God in your mind, it's still not going to count. And a lot of people do. And I just want to dwell on that and share with you first and foremost from Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 11 to 13, it says, and he himself, Jesus is being referred to here, and he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come. In the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Can I tell you something? I appreciate the fact that a lot of people, you know, seek synergy in ministry. Oh, you're the pastor of this church and I'm the pastor of this ministry. Oh, I appreciate you. Thank you for all that you do and all of that. I appreciate that. But you see, God wants more than that. God wants us to do better than just appreciating our differences. Appreciating in each other despite our differences. He wants more. The Bible says we should all come in unity of the faith. Can I tell you something? Our unity is not in our holding hands. 
The unity this text is talking about is not in our singing kumbaya, you know, or any other song that, that some used to portray unity. The real unity that the body of Christ needs is in doctrine. So that we keep helping each other. We have the humility, all right, and that teachable spirit to keep learning and keep growing. And when we see someone who knows, we stop making excuses, and then we just learn from them until we can do that. Spiritual growth will not be possible. All right? So spiritual growth depends on our teachability. For spiritual growth to be possible, we have to remain teachable. We have to remain teachable. I want to share with you some very interesting statistics, all right? Do you know how many religions there are in the world? There are 4,200 religions in the world. And I'm, I'm sure that this is a gross underestimation. <laughs> uh, but there are 4,200 recorded or registered, if there's any registration per se, there are 4,200 recognized religions in the world. 4,200. Do you know how many denominations of Christianity there are? Okay, so out of 4,200, Christianity is one. Yeah, we might be the majority, all right, compared to all the others. But it's just still one religion. And so... Even Christianity, do you know how many denominations of Christianity exist? 40,000. There are 40,000 denominations of Christianity. So, 4,200 religions, 40,000 denominations of Christianity. Now, someone, someone says, I'm Pentecostal. <laughs> Even among Pentecostals. There are so many, you know, factions. Let's call them factions. Some who believe, you know, they're, they're Pentecostals because they speak in tongues, but for some reason they don't believe in healing. I mean, I mean, there are all kinds of beliefs out there. You know, some believe in healing, but they don't believe in tongues. You know, and all kinds of, you know, doctrinal divides in the world today. And Christi, do, do, why, why am I sharing this with you? Because you see, many times we are really so fascinated with what we think is true. And that's why there are many beliefs all over the world. Everybody is sure they are correct. All right? And I just want us to share something here and talk about this briefly. You see, the reason why there are many different beliefs is because many of us lack the objectivity that is required. You know, to consider our position carefully. That's why. You know, we, are, we think faith is a matter of fandom. You know, you know, when you ask someone, what club do you support? And the person says, Arsenal. And the person will continue to support Arsenal, no matter how bad, you know, the club is. You know, they just, they're not really trying to be objective. What's the best football club in the world? Arsenal. Why? <laughs> They've not played well in ages. They've not had a good season in ages. But they don't want to listen. And sorry, Arsenal fans, you know what I'm saying is true. <laughs> you know, and some people, you know, they're not, they're not ready to objectively consider their position. They just, they just think faith is a matter of fandom. Can I tell you something? Faith is serious business. Faith is not a joke. Your eternal destination 
I mean, it's really literally dependent on what you believe here and now. It's not a joke. This is not fandom. This is faith. And so, before we talk about, you know, graces and, you know, salvation generally, the first thing I want to mention is, you know, having the objectiveness and the humility to just check. Check what you believe. Yeah, maybe you are a Christian, but, you know, your theology on salvation, there are several different perspectives to salvation. How is a man saved? Can salvation be lost? You know, and all of that. And some people, there are just some things they don't want to hear. There are a lot of wars, a lot of factions. We must all have the humility to put the word of God above our opinions. And that's what I want to share with you. And if this is all that I'm able to establish today is good enough, we must have that humility. All right? You know, I've given this illustration before, and it's, it's hilarious, and so I'll keep sharing it. You know, there, there's, there's this friend I had in the university. We're not very close, but I mean, in fact, at some point, we're, st we're staying next door to each other. His room was next to mine. And one day I heard him singing a song, a song that we all know, most of us know, let there be love shared amongst us, you know. But he was singing it wrong. He was singing it differently. He was singing, let there be love, share the mangoes, mango the fruit. I, I, I couldn't believe my ears. I was like, how can you, how do you come up with that? You know, from amongst us to mangoes, you, you don't blame him, you know, um, thank God we, the, the, the media age, you know, is a lot stronger now. So you can easily verify stuff, see how a song is, is being sung all over the world and all of that. But we didn't really have much of that. Well, we did, but, <laughs> but it wasn't as rampant as it is today. And maybe someone just taught him to sing it that way, and he has been singing it ever since. And when I tried to tell him, you know, that's not the way the song is meant to be sung, you know, I could see the reluctance in his face. Like, what do you mean? You know, and all of that. I just want to ask you this. Have you ever, you know, seen someone do something very interesting, very hilarious, hilariously wrong, you know? And when you try to correct them, do you see that reluctance? You know, when it all comes down to it, maybe we're all guilty of that anyway. Maybe we are all guilty of that anyway. All right. So maybe we're all guilty of that. When it all comes down to it, we all have the propensity to assume that our way is the right way. And let's be honest with this. If we're going to be honest with this, we, we may just agree that sometimes we just don't like to concede. We would rather be wrong than be proven wrong. <laughs> you know? And some people, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it's just about fandom competition. Arsenal versus Chelsea. Christianity versus Islam. Your life is too important, too precious for that. Too precious. Too precious. It's high time you took a step back objectively to consider what you've always believed. Consider it. Consider it carefully. Consider it objectively. And that's what I want to challenge you to do. Listen, if this is the only thing you take from the teaching today, I'm okay. I'm okay. So I'm just going to expound on this. Two things I want to share with you. How 
did people seek to know God in the Bible? How did people seek to know God in the Bible? The first is through intuitive search. People sought to know God through intuitive search. And what do I mean by that? You see, inherent in every man is the curiosity for the divine. Inherent in every man is the curiosity for the divine. There is something about us that acknowledges that there is something beyond what we see, what we hear. There has to be something beyond this world. So there is that inherent curiosity for the divine. Can I tell you something? If you see someone who has zero interest about the things of the spirit, it is because that inherent desire has been suppressed. Not that it was absent. But that nature has been suppressed by nurture. You, do you understand what I'm saying? You know, by his exposure and all of that, it's been suppressed. But naturally, we have that sense that keeps telling us there is something out there. There's something out there. Has it ever happened to you, you know, that you, you were seated and someone was staring at you at the back? And it's almost as if you felt it, as if you felt eyes, you know, Behind your, behind your head, you know, intuitively just turned. <laughs> and sure enough, someone was looking at you. Or have you ever dreamt about someone or, or an event, and eventually you stepped into that place and then you saw all that you dreamt about? There is some, we have quite a lot of evidence, all right? Things that the normal human mind cannot explain. Things that medicine cannot explain. Near-death experiences. Why is it that when people are in a coma, you know, they will tell you how they had an out-of-body experience, you know, and they saw everything that was happening in the room, including their body lying on the bed. How do you explain that? So, you see, situations and just normal inherent intuition prove to us that there is something out there. David said, it is the fool who says in his heart there is no God. It's the fool. It's the fool. He's trying to suppress it. He's trying to suppress it. Can I tell you something? And I'll say this in, in the most respectful way. Look at, look at many atheists. Can you explain their fascination with defending that there is no God? I mean, if I mean at the end of our lives, we're all just going to disintegrate and disappear into nothingness. When they see people of faith, they should just mock and say, oh, these ones are just wasting their time and mind their business. But why is it that many atheists are very committed to defending their position? What's the point? Because even if they show it in a negative way, they are still fascinated in the divine. So fascinated, they are bent on proving there is no divinity <laughs> you know, out there. But the fascination is there. This is a topic that interests us, the topic of God. Someone says, oh, it's the, it's the churches, you know, that have taught us to reason this way. Not exactly. Before there were churches, you know, this has been an ongoing study, an ongoing discovery. Right from Genesis 4, where the Bible says that men began to call upon the name of the Lord. It's just something in us that keeps driving us. You know, let me, let me read this to you. In Romans chapter 1 from verse 18. In Romans chapter 1 from verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So, so people 
who try to pretend like there is no God, the Bible calls it un- unrighteousness. You see? And now they're going to be held accountable because they're trying to suppress the truth. He says, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. He says, what may be known of God? We're talking about how people got to know God in the Bible. How people sought to know God in the Bible. He says, what should be known of God is manifest in them. For God had shown it to them. You say, how did God show it to them? There were no Bibles in their time. You know, no one ever preached to them. How did God show it to them? Look at what he says in verse 20. He says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Yes, God is invisible, but his attributes are visible. His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So he's saying, by seeing the things that are made, we have proof that there is a creator. Every intelligent design is proof of an intelligent designer. Imagine I came here and I told you, oh, really? There are so many of you online who can hear me. I wonder how. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that you can hear me. I wonder how you can hear me. Because I was just talking and all of a sudden I discovered you guys could hear me. What are you going to think? Of course, that would be a lie. Because the reason you can hear me is because a lot of technology is in place. There's a camera. There are stands. There are microphones, there is the internet, a lot of things were in place. And that's how it makes no sense for someone to just be born into this world. See, guess what? The world rotates, hey, I wish I could confirm. The world rotates at, I, I, I want to remember exactly. I think... 6,000 miles per hour, something, something around that figure. You know what 6,000 miles per hour is? Have you, have you ever driven on 60 miles per hour you know, in your vehicle? You know how fast that is? Or kilometers per hour? Now, multiply that by 100. That's how fast the world is rotating. All right. And as it's rotating, it's revolving around the sun. Just think of the speed. And has no visible foundation. <laughs> no visible foundation holding it. I mean, it's rotating at that speed and with that size in space. Think about the details of the creation of the world. And someone says, all of that just came to be of his own accord. Uh, of his own accord, or it was self-caused, it makes no sense. (laughs) Makes no sense. There is a God. And from the things that he has made, we can see that clearly. There is a God. All right? And and so he says, the wrath of God is revealed about against people who try to suppress the truth. You just listen, you may not have the exact details because you, you never encountered the holy book but you have enough evidence from around you to know conclusively that there is a God. This is a, this is a, a very important point. 
All right. Look at Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14 from verse 16 to 17. Acts 14, 16 to 17. It says, who in bygone generations allowed our nations to walk in their own ways. So now, some people say, what about people who never heard the gospel? I'm going to share on that. But on a, on a general level, even if you never heard anybody preach to you, there is enough evidence to know that there is a God out there. So it seems like the writer here says, allowed, it seems like he allowed the nations to walk in their own ways. He says, nevertheless, he did not leave them without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven, beautiful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. He gave us rain. Filling our hearts with good and gladness. So from nature, we can understand intelligently. I see, I know there are excesses, you know, natural disasters and all of that. And there are deeper explanations to this. But fundamentally, from the brilliance of creation, the fact that, you know, uh, there, there are some things that are dependable. The reason why you plant seeds in the soil and expect it to germinate is because there is a system that you can depend on. Think about that. And now, all of this points us to the fact that there is indeed a God. Okay? And so, even if it is intuitively, our intuition can lead, can lead us in our search for the divine. We just know. We just know. We know from within us. We know from what we see around us. There's a God out there. There's something out there. And all of this is heading somewhere. You see, in Acts chapter 17, the Bible says that Paul found himself in, in, himself in Athens in Greece. You know, and then he beheld their devotion. No preacher had been there to preach to them, to tell them categorically who Jesus was, or at least not before Paul, you know. But like I said, intuitively, they knew there was a God out there. They didn't know his name, but they knew there was a God. In fact, they were honest enough to call him the unknown God. You know, so just put an inscription, the unknown God, and went about their de devotion. Now, here is the mystic. Pay attention to this. So, all of mankind has a fascination about the divine. And because, you know, for many people, they've not yet heard the truth, they go about that, that, that intuition the wrong way. So, they begin to manufacture things. They, need to come, they begin to come up with intellectual ideas on how to go about their devotion. And come up, come up with funny ideas. And this is how, this is why there are many religions in the world today. Because there is something fundamentally correct about our search, but wrong about how we go about, do you understand, experiencing this God that we know is definitely out there. And so, well, these guys were a lot more objective, a lot more honest. They called him the unknown God. And Paul began to correct them and say, well, even if you, you never knew about the true God, but think about this. The God who made the heaven and the earth, is that the God you're building a temple for? <laughs> of course. He used common sense, you know, just to teach them this. He didn't open a Bible. You know, is that the God you're making a temple for? The God who built heaven and earth? The God who sustains all the humans on earth? 
Is that the God you're offering food in a calabash? All right. You know, so he just walked them through that process. So the first point I gave is there's an intuitive search for the divine. But the other thing we need to point out here is that intuitive search is meant to lead us to the truth. It is not the truth. All right. It is not. It is insufficient. You can't dwell on that. And so, like I said, that's why there are many religions in the world. Because we followed our intuition, that intuitive search for the divine, but we always go about it the wrong way. We always end up with the wrong conclusions. And the reason is simple. There is only one true way to actually discover God and to have a relationship with him, and that's revelation knowledge. That's the second point. Revelation knowledge. That's the sure and truest way to know God. You know, the Bible says, Paul was speaking, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. It says, but as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God had prepared for them that love him. Meaning, he's making a commentary on the history of mankind. He said, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. It has not even entered the heart of any man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. However, he says, God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For his spirit searched all things, here, the deep things of God. So he's saying the spirit of Christ, and I'm going to expound on this if I have enough time. All right. The honors was on the spirit of Christ to reveal divinity to God in clear, accurate terms. Man on his own, Cannot know God is a king. If you're gonna have, you know, a relationship with someone who is bigger than you, more powerful than you are, he has to summon you. If you're gonna be friends with any notable king in the world, it has to be on his own terms. He would want to have to be the one to want to forge a relationship with you. Otherwise, it's not gonna be possible. The same thing applies to man and his relationship with God. God will have to call for you, reveal himself to you. And he says, I have not seen, ear has not heard. It has not entered into the heart of man, but the spirit of God has revealed God to the world. This is so important, and I'm still on the point I started with. We have to have the humility to know that as humans, we cannot figure God out with our own intellect. We cannot find him through any telescope. We can find him there. If you're ever going to get to know God, he has to reveal himself to you. And he has revealed himself in his word. Let us humble ourselves and check objectively. We, 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 we overestimate and exaggerate the importance of our, of our opinions. We must have the humility to lay aside you know, our thoughts, lay aside whatever we think is true, and then look to the word. We're talking about God here. You know, in one instance, Jesus asked the disciples, he said, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they began to give responses. He says, some, some say you are Elias, some say you are John the Baptist, some say, you know, and this just tells you 
the normal propensity of man. All right, we know that this man named Jesus, there's something special about him. We know it intuitively, or we know it through the miracles he has, he has performed. But human beings are just extra. <laughs> extra with the information. So what's our conclusion about who he is? They came up with all kinds of things. They say he's Elias, he's John the Baptist, one of the prophets, and all of that. Then Jesus said, who do you say that I am? I, the son of man, am. Peter, you know, by the Holy Ghost said, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, flesh and blood, normal human propensity and intelligence has not revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven. You cannot know Jesus you cannot know God but by the Holy Spirit and the revelation of the Spirit in his word. You cannot know the Son of God outside of the word of God. Let me take that again. You cannot know the Son of God outside of the word of God. There's no other way to know God. We must look to his word. We must have the, the, the humility to lay aside you know, what we think we know. Can I tell you something? You know, what we think we know can stand erect as, as barriers in our mind against the truth. I want to encourage you. There is no other way to grow. The moment you come to a point where the word of God cannot correct you, God can't use you. God cannot use you. Look at the children of Israel, for instance. They had prophets who prophesied the coming of Christ. They supposedly anticipated the coming of Christ. But guess what? They made a tradition and a religion out of their intuitive search and out of their prophetic search in such a way that when what they waited for for centuries came before their very eyes, they couldn't recognize it. They couldn't receive it. The Bible says in John chapter 1 verse 11, it says he came to his own and his own did not receive him. He came to his own, his own people. Because you see, the son of God cannot be recognized, you know, by just physical propensities, physical attributes. Oh, the texture of his hair. Oh, from the sound of his voice, I just knew he had to be the one. This is not a romantic story. This is not a novel. This is a spiritual reality we are talking about. And you can only know by revelation. This is so crucial. He says, but as many as received him, to them he gave power to be sons of God. If you walked in Jesus' day, would you know who he was? How would you know? Only by revelation. And today, that's the only chance you have it doesn't really matter the church you grew up in. Stick to the word of God. All right? Be humble enough to put what you think you know aside and look at the word of God objectively. Jesus said in John chapter 5 verse 39, I want you to open that. John chapter 5 verse 39. Open your Bibles wherever you are. John chapter 5 verse 39. He said, you search the scriptures 
For in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. He says, these scriptures that you search every day, you religious Jews, these scriptures that you search every day, they testify of me. He's giving them a challenge. If you would check it objectively, you would see that it all spoke about me. He told them to search, but they would not search. Can I tell you something? When you will not search, you will fight God without knowing. Now, this prophet, this Messiah that they had anticipated for years, they grabbed him. They killed him. They thought they were doing God's service. They thought that as they were doing it, God was going to be proud. You see, the danger of religion, you see, a lot of people just read this about the Jews, not knowing that they have the same characteristics. When you hear the teaching of the word of God, you know, and your, your reflex is to object. This is not what I've been taught. This is not what I'm used to. The person is saying, look at the scriptures. Just take a moment. Look at it, but you don't want to listen. You're doing the same thing. If you were in Jesus' day, you, would pro you probably would have killed him. Because the things Jesus was saying, they were not popular, but they were true. A lot of people have turned the issue of faith to a popularity contest. But it's not about popularity. Can I tell you something? Truth remains true whether it is popular or not. It's not a game of popularity. You have to have the humility, the audacity, the bravery to stand for the truth even if you are the only one. Stand for the truth. Stand, I call it the, the audacity of Noah. I think I learned it from a pastor of this nation you know, who gave you know, a brilliant talk on that. Where you find yourself being the only one in the world who believes the truth and you stand for the truth with your family, notwithstanding. If you don't have that bravery, not only will you miss out on God, you would fight him all your life thinking you were defending him. This is so important. This is so crucial. I want to read to you something from Luke chapter 11, verse 47. Luke chapter 11, verse 47. Please be kind enough to open that. I, listen, I want you to make sure that you are opening this text, you know, so that we can go through this together and actually learn all that the Lord has to share with us. So Luke chapter 11, verse 47. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. This is very interesting. <laughs> because you see, these guys, you know, they always commemorated, you know, the death of Isaiah the death of all the prophets who were killed by their ancestors. Your ancestors killed them. And now you've built tombs for them. You're putting flowers on them, doing rem remembrance for them. You know. And then you're saying, oh, if it had been in our day, we would not have done it. Why did our fathers do it? But Jesus says, in fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers. For they indeed killed him, and you built their tombs. 
And Jesus went on to tell them this. He said, the same thing your fathers did, you're going to do even worse because you're going to kill the Son of Man. Jesus predicted his own death, said they were going to do it, and they did. They did. You see, there is something about humans <laughs> that realize the truth when it's too late. Why is it that we celebrate people most when they are dead? Why? Why? This is normal human propensity. And now these guys, they were busy garnishing the sepulchers of the prophets of old, of Isaiah. Isaiah in his day, he was son as son that he was divided. The upper part of his body and the lower part of his, such wickedness. And now for generation to generation, these guys were crying, you know, remembering him, saying, oh, our fathers did the wrong thing. However, do, did they have the objectiveness to in their day discern who God had sent so as not to repeat the same error? They did not. They did not. And so they ended up doing the same thing, even worse than their fathers. And now it's the same thing happening today. Many times we read, you know, about the Jews and how they surrender Jesus to die. And we're like, oh, why would they do such a thing? And we even assume if, if, it, if I was there, I would be on Jesus' side. But can I tell you something? By your attitude to spiritual growth, your objectiveness in discovering what is true, we can tell what you would have done in Jesus' day or not. We can tell. We can tell. Because if you don't have the objectiveness to sit down and check what is true, no matter how popular or, no, or unpopular it is, you would have fought Jesus. I can say that categorically. You would have fought Jesus because many of the things he was saying, they were not popular. He had the audacity to say, you know, you have heard that it has been said, but I say unto you. <laughs> you know, some of us, you know, we avoid controversy at all costs. The moment someone is trying to unsettle what we are used to, you know, what our forefathers established and taught us, we just run away. Well, our, our priority is not whether it is true or not. People just begin to ask questions, you know, who are you? When did you start? And I'm like, first of all, the word of God is older than all of us. Let's have the humility to embrace what the word of God says. Amen, somebody. You know, and that's so important. Because as we get on in with this series, we're going to be sharing on a lot of important things. I'm going to be rounding off now. I'm, I'm going to share maybe one more, one, one more long text with you, and I'm going to end it. You know, no praise and worship and all of that. And I, trust me, I can teach longer, but I'm just going to end this. But I, I just want to challenge you. As we go on in this series, put on your thinking caps, open your Bible, let God be true and all men liars. Let God be true. As long as it's in the word of God, properly explained, properly ex exegeted. The moment I can show you that this is the will of God, this is what God in his word has said, forget about tradition. Forget about everything else. Because the only way God wants you to know him is through his word. It's through his word. 
It's through his word. It's through his word. You know, I, I, I smile when a lot of people say this. You know, a lot of people claim to have visions of Jesus. And I personally, forgive me, I'm just skeptical about things like that. But there are some people that I actually believe. And there is one key thing that catches my attention with those people. Now, this is not so important, but, you know, when someone says, I saw Jesus, and when people ask, what does he look like? And they say, I, I-, I can't really tell. I can't really tell. It's a spiritual mystery. You know, you see him, but you cannot describe physically. I believe that's the Jesus of the Bible. He doesn't want your knowledge of him to be based on any attributes, any physical, optical attributes. Oh, the color of his eye, the color of his hair, you know, and all of that. No, not exactly. You know, there's an example in the word of God. Jesus had just been killed. He rose again the third day. Two disciples were on the road to Emmaus, you know, and they were walking, and they were talking about Jesus. And Jesus joined them. They didn't know it was Jesus. And this is important. This tells us a lot about this Jesus we're talking about. He held it from them that he was the one, you know, he has the power to do that. And he was just walking with them, you know. And Jesus said to them, what are you talking about? And they said, oh, are you new in this city? How come you're asking what are you talking about? Haven't, haven't, haven't you watched the news? Haven't you heard about this Jesus that was killed? Oh, we thought he was going to, you know, save the Jews. And now he has been killed. Now, Jesus could have just simply told them, hey, 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 hold on, hold on. I'm alive. I'm the one. He didn't do that. He could have just said, feel me, you know, I'm the one. No need to be worried. I'm here. You see, all that I said is true. But he didn't say that. Instead, the Bible says, this is Luke chapter 24, verse 25. The Bible says, he said unto them, O fools, and slow of her to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Jesus Christ pointed them back to the scriptures. Listen, in Jesus' earthly ministry, he told them he was going to die and rise again. And they got carried away with that. They didn't believe that. They didn't expect that. But that's not even what, you know, offended Jesus or got Jesus to react that way. He honored the scriptures and said, All fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And he said, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And the Bible says he started the Bible study. Beginning at Moses, meaning the books written by Moses, and all of the prophets, he explained, expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they began to walk. It was a long walk. And he began to teach them. Interesting. Listen. Somebody will say, it would have been faster to just say, oh, I'm the one. No, that's not the way of Christ. Instead, he did a full Bible study. He went through the whole Old Testament, showing them every single prophecy about himself. All right. Now, this is what happened next. 
So eventually he joined them in their house, continued to study there, and now they sat at the table. The Bible says he took bread and broke it. And when he broke it, their eyes were open. Can I tell you something? By this order, we realize something important. Jesus wanted them to see him in the word of God first before they recognize him physically. Oh, are you with me? He wanted them to discern him in the scriptures first before they could recognize him physically. Can I tell you something about salvation and about the end time? It is people who discern Christ in the word of God who will see Christ. They are the ones who will. They are the ones who you have to see him for who he is first before your eyes will ever gaze on him physically and actually and practically. Because the only way God will have you have a relationship with the Son of God is through the Word of God. So it is after he has shown them about himself in the Word that their eyes were open to see him right in front of them. If, if he's right in front of you, you still won't know him. <laughs> you have to know him in his word first. That's the order of divinity. That you would discern Christ in his word before you see him physically. I want you to think about that as we enter this series. God wants me to discern Christ in his word before I see him physically. And the moment it was done, you know, he vanished from their eyes. And then they said something interesting. He says, did our hearts not burn as he opened to us the scriptures? Did our hearts not burn? <laughs> so as he began to teach, you know, there was something, a witness within them that was stirred. To know that the person in front of them was divine. They knew. But it came from the scriptures. Just by seeing him, nothing happened. But as he began to teach, their hearts began to burn. That's how this discernment is forged. Not by some funny dream. You know, some people just have one funny dream and say, this is what I saw. Oh, I saw this. I heard that. No. You have to see him first in the word of God. People of God, I want to challenge you. Behold Christ in the word. Behold Christ in the word. Don't be like the Jews. All right? Behold Christ in the word. I'm going to end with a quote that I made, I think, about three years ago. When you share any teaching in the word of God that is new to you, your reflex to study on it should be stronger and sharper than your reflex to argue on it. A lot of people, the moment, you know, is something they're not already used to, they just begin to argue. You know, take a moment, read it objectively, check the scriptures, ask objective questions. Before you start arguing, all right? And that's so important. I just want us to pray now. I'm bringing this to a close. I want us to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this month. Thank you because your word says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that the gospel will have the right effect in the hearts of the hearers. You know, because they would have taken away every veil, every obstruction, Every tradition of men, you know, that tries to make, you know, the teaching of the word of God of non-effect. Just like the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, you know, that the same preaching, you know, was preached to them. You, but because it was not mixed with faith, you know, it had no effect. Father, in the name of Jesus, as your word has been taught this month, it's going to be mixed with faith. 
in the heart of all the hearers. In the mighty name of Jesus, and faith is rising. And even those who are established in the truth, they are getting, gaining more clarity to be able to explain to others. In the mighty name of Jesus. And we thank you because even in these austere moments in the world, we preach boldly to the world that Jesus is the answer for the world today. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.